Marketing and Strategy MBA. Okay, welcome to the Venture Capital Podcast. Go to venturecapital.fm if you want to see or learn about all of our places you can hear about us, Instagram, Spotify, Apple. And today we're doing a Q&A. We did, uh, we did a LinkedIn post. So we said, Peter Harris and I are recording our next group of Venture Capital Podcasts. Is there anything you'd like us to cover? And there were two main themes that kind of came. And the first one is represented by Michael Gray. He said, this might be a private conversation, but I've been shocked by how many companies get investment with no profit in sight and why so many VCs accept the high valuations when they have never made a profit and won't for many years. I feel like that those who get the investment must be really good salespeople at what they are doing. And why does this happen so often? Mm. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, this isn't like a new question. This has existed for decades. Yeah. And I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of like the kinds of companies that venture capitalists invest in. And why they invest in them. And why they invest in them. Um, because the reality is 97% of companies do not raise venture money. They shouldn't raise venture money. They should be profitable. And so you could argue 97% of entrepreneurs look at this and rightly so. And they're like, why the heck would an investor give this like crazy idea, unprofitable, blah, blah, blah money. Right. Uh huh. It doesn't make any sense. And of course, then it's like, well, duh, of course they lost their money, right? That was obvious. I think the first time I heard this story was probably back in 2007. John Richards, local investor, talked about a company named Omniture, got acquired. It was public. And he said throughout their entire tenure, five to 10 year existence, they never had a profitable quarter. And the, the definition or the understanding I got at that point was that the assumption was as if they stopped doing marketing, if they stopped doing sales and had these aggressive spends to just kind of dominate the market, there would be this wave of cash flow that would make up. And so what they're really going Maybe. for is this aggressive, potentially this aggressive land grab. Because in a lot of these, these the spaces that you, that you invest in as a VC that you've said again and again, is you want to see a monopoly. And I think a lot of these monopolistic powers happen when you're the first or second and maybe a distant third. And then mm -hmm. for everyone else, it's hard to carve out a living. Yeah. And so what these investors are looking at is, you know, is can we see a long-term positive ROI, um, I think is the first thing, and or can we get to a monopolistic position? Yeah. And who gets there first? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. I think the other thing is that it's not that VCs don't care about profitability. We do care about profitability. In fact, I would argue in some ways, I care more about profitability than your average investor that's investing in the like 97% of companies. The difference is I'm not looking for profits today. I, and I'm not looking for like mediocre profits tomorrow. I'm looking for gigantic, world-changing, <laughs> dominating profits in the medium term, right? Next week kind of thing. And when I say next week, I mean, it could be 10 years out. It could actually be 20 years out, right? What matters is, is that the company, to your point, can become a monopoly and in a, in a monopolistic position can generate outsized profits relative to other companies in the space 
and those profits can be distributed to investors. That's what ultimately makes big companies. And so if you look, I mean, the classic examples here, right, are like Google. Google wasn't making any money, didn't have any plans on how to make money. Facebook, same thing, right? They didn't even know how to make money at the time. They didn't know how to make money, right? It wasn't until they acquired AdSense. Like they didn't even build their own tech to add to, to start making money. They had to buy somebody else to give them the ability to make money. But today, Google is by far one of the most profitable companies in the world, right? Because it's established itself as such a dominant player in the intersection of so many large markets uh, and exhibits like crazy monopolistic uh, power within those markets. And so like as a VC, like those are the profits that I want. The difference is, is that I'm taking all of those future profits that I may never see as a VC hit my balance, my bank account, and I'm discounting them all the way back to today to give me a valuation. And what, and, and this is like the art versus the science of uh, valuation, particularly when it comes to venture, is that because it's so far into the future, it's 10, it's 20 years, it's maybe in some cases like 30 years, right? You think about like how long has Google been around, right? So it's so far into the future that anybody that says that and tells you that they know exactly what the exact discount rate should be is crazy, right? Like there's no like mathematical formula you can apply to it because there's, you know, there's just so many different probabilities of what can occur. As a VC, you're just trying to like do the best you can around forecasting how big can that really get someday and discounting back to today at a rate that generates a big enough return to justify the risk I'm taking, like gives me this valuation. Okay. Right. And, and so, yeah. So, so to a certain extent, like, does it matter if I pay a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars or a million dollar valuation on Google? If Google someday is going to be worth a trillion dollars, like it kind of doesn't matter. Right. Like even if even if like before Google had had really like generated a penny in revenue, I had invested a billion dollar valuation. And I held it to today, right? Companies, you know, at different points in time has been worth close to a trillion dollars. That's a thousand times my investment. Like that would be phenomenal. Most VCs will never see a thousand X return mm-hmm. on any of their investments in their entire lifetime, right? So it kind of doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, what the valuation is if you're in the right deals, right? And this is something that Andreessen Horowitz like came out and made a very big statement when they started their fund is that like, they're like, look, it doesn't matter. All that matters, your only job as a venture capital is to get into the handful of deals every year that matter. And if you can't do that, you failed, right? And so, yeah, we're going to pay up. And everybody was pissed about that in Silicon Valley and elsewhere when Andreessen came in and they're like, they were throwing down like huge valuations and everyone's like freaking out, right? Like, oh, they're, they're going to ruin it for all of us because, you know, the valuations are high. Or like, oh, they're, they're, they're pushing up these valuations and just they wait, just, just you wait and see, like they're going to screw it up and, and they're going to, you know, have all these losses and so forth. But the thing is, is like value investing does not exist really in venture. And so being too valuation sensitive doesn't make a ton of sense. What matters is like getting into the really good deals. But again, less than 3% of VC or of companies are venture. Mm-hmm. And of those, I would argue probably half of them should 
are even backable. So it's just such a small percentage of the overall. Okay. Yes, yeah, so no, I agree. And I remember the first time I heard it being shocked, but ever since then, every time I hear about it coming up in the news, I'm like, that news reporter doesn't know anything about this space. <laughs> yeah. But look, they're not wrong because 97% of the time they're right, right? Mm-hmm. But you just need, what was it? Like mint.com had their exit multiple of revenue. I forget the number. Maybe I shouldn't quote it, but like they're just, if you win, you win big. And that's what you're going yeah. for. Yeah. I mean, Mint probably had like a, hundred, a couple hundred grand in revenue. Mm-hmm. It couldn't have been much. They got it picked up for like 76 million, which today is not like that big. But I mean, it just happened so fast and it was such a unique model. Mm-hmm. So why would a VC invest? I mean, we've covered a lot of the reasons why. But, you know, when they look, when, when I look at a deal, I'm thinking about, those future profits. And then there's a the question of like, well, how do you get to those future profits? And ultimately it's because you are solving um, just insanely big pain point mm-hmm. in a way that's defensible, that other people can't copy you. And you have an amazing team that can execute on that, right? And if you, basically if you have those things, then VCs will get excited and they'll throw money at it with the hopes that you know 1000X can cover a lot of losses. Mm-hmm. for sure and so vcs don't i hate to say it most vcs like you know we don't want to lose money but any vc that's like overly concerned about the money that they lose as opposed to the money that they can gain on their investments is probably not in the right game okay sure should we go to the next question that someone brought up yeah let's do it so pre-seed valuation so peter is not really a pre-seed expert you guys do what series a and, and above yeah, we'll occasionally dabble in seed, but yeah, yeah, we don't we don't do a ton of pre-seed. Okay. So this is Mark Whalen, marketing and strategy MBA. He says, more specifically, I'm curious to learn more about valuations at the pre-seed stage. In some regards, it seems like pre-seed valuations are much a much different ballgame. Almost like quantum physics. <laughs> Things that you thought were true start to break down at scale. Um, I think I don't have a lot of data, but I feel like right now. How would we? When the market was at its peak, it wasn't uncommon for founders who've had exits, not like like grand slam exits, but some type of exits. Yeah, been there, done that. Two yep. to five x exits. They were getting valuations between eight and ten million. Sure. I think right now that same group is probably raising at five to eight, eight point seven million. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have experience, you're probably in the two and a half million range that's probably fair and you have to show more traction correct more yeah so i think those are the current terms and a lot of people that were holding out for higher valuations are now taking these these numbers yeah i think that's fair i think if you're looking at people who've had exits some of them are raising who what is it so this is probably more series a some of them are raising at well like 20 to 30x times revenue could be i mean in some cases they don't have revenue because it's pre-seed but these are individuals who had major exits but so that would not be a seed but that would be later stage just to give you like a comparison yeah like the people i know at the top at the top end who have a track record yeah we're getting vc funding 10 to 30 million is the high end yeah uh look i don't think pre-seed valuation is that big of a black box okay um I think generally there are 
standards that are relatively not like firm because they're fluid and that they change over time depending on what's happening in the market and supply and demand of cash but but generally like there's there's the the standard which you talked about right it's like two and a half three million dollars for you know first time founders uh for pre-seed and then you know upward pushing up against 10 for repeat founders right somewhere in that range five to ten um but i mean you just have to think through like the basic math. So if I am a pre-seed fund, I manage like 25 million bucks, I'm gonna make 50 bets, right? So that's half a million dollars per bet. Then in order to return my fund on a $25 million fund, assuming that only one of those 50 ultimately succeeds, right? Which is pretty close to what you'd expect. Um. To return my whole fund at $25 million, well, over time, I'm probably going to get diluted down to like 10% over time. Uh, and so if the company ultimately is worth, you know, $250 mil- So anyways, like, if ultimately the company is worth $250 million bucks, that's great. I've returned my fund. But as a seed fund, like I'm probably going to lose a lot of my other companies, if not all of them, right? So just returning my funds not enough. I really need to be pushing for like three to five x fund returns, particularly because I'm investing at pre-seed, which means I'm taking on even more risk, and so investors are going to want an even bigger return. So that means like if I own ten percent, I need this company to get to a billion dollars, right? A hundred million dollar return. That's four x my fund. I can go raise another fund off that, right? If it's below 4X, it's almost like, well, why would I take all the risk of investing in your seed fund only to get 4X or 3X when I can invest in a more established Series A fund and also get like 3X with less risk, right? So like there's that going on. So so ultimately, like you want to be pushing for like north of 4X, probably closer to like 5, 6, et cetera, uh, to really be competitive as a seed fund. So, okay, so now I've got to sell this thing for a billion dollars. And I got to own 10% when all is said and done. And I am writing a half million dollar check. So dilution alone is probably going to cut my stake in half minimum. So now I need to own 20% of the business. So I own 20% of the business with a half million dollar check. That's roughly $2.5 million pre. Okay. There we go. We got there. Right? John's like eyes glazed over. Math. Oh. No, but I, you know, that that's the basic math. And what, look, if what percentage if, of the cap table should uh, a seed investor have, or how much is too much before investors will be like, you gave how much away, or does that matter? I don't know. I think once you're north of like forty percent, I would start to get super nervous. So if someone says, "Hey, John, hundred k for thirty five percent of the company," uh, as an investor for round two, you'd be red flag or no? I mean, yes, that sounds probably like yes. Okay. The caveat is like I don't know, like if you absolutely slay it and okay, but that could be the a company is just like going gangbusters. That could be a, a potential red flag. But like you're gonna value your company at 200k. I'm just saying, I'm giving you an example. I'm not yeah. saying that's what I would do. Yeah, but so people do it. I mean, what 100k gets people where? Well, I mean, look, 
I would raise 100K at a two, 200K pre-money valuation if I thought there was a very clear near-term exit to like 10 million. Okay. Sure, why not? Okay. But so, I wouldn't dedicate my life for the next like 10 to 15 years. You're saying, let, <laughs> let, let's say someone was going to give me $250,000. Okay. You would try to go for a post-money valuation of 2.5 million or 10%. As a founder? I'm just trying to give you like rough examples. Yeah. And you wouldn't see a red flag with that. No. But if someone gave me 250000 and had 30% in a pre-seed deal as a VC, is that concerning or no? Not necessarily. Okay. I don't think, I mean, it feels aggressive. Okay. It would make me question like their ability to negotiate and fundraise. Okay. Right? Which I think is an overlooked like characteristic that people don't talk about a lot, but... I have found it to be more and more and more important of the entrepreneurs I back that like they know how to fundraise. Problem is you can't just be good at fundraising. You have to be good at fundraising and good at like operating <laughs> because I've also seen situations, right? Uh, like we work where the entrepreneur is exceptional at fundraising, but a total train wreck when it comes to operating and managing. And the whole thing kind of blows up. They raise tons and tons of money at super high valuations. They can't sustain it. And the whole thing, the whole, you know, house of cards comes collapsing. Um, so you got you to gotta have both. But the flip side is I've also seen situations where you have an entrepreneur who is phenomenal at operating and cannot fundraise to save their lives. And they have like an actual interesting business that if that were in the hands of any other like good like entrepreneur who knew how to fundraise like would be worth two to three to four to five times the value right and that matters not just because valuation you know is like this ego trip but because startup land is all about momentum in a lot of ways and so if you've got momentum you're growing you're hitting higher valuations it's easier to hire it's easier to fundraise it's easier to land customers like you know wins behind your sales like it's easier and so both both really matter that was a side tangent i didn't mean to go on but it's a good side i think a lot of people are think curious about. what's happening yeah okay and i think our next episodes will dig deeper into maybe some of the reports that carta came out with sure but just as a general pre-seed understanding in the in the utah market my general my understanding is that most people are raising around 2.5 to 5 million yeah. post money yeah. so post money would be the pre-money valuation would be the, the amount you've raised and the minus that valuation Yep, would be the pre. And the, the one thing I want to add is like, why would you pay an entrepreneur that's been there, done that, even if they haven't had like a massive home run success? It's just because like they've been there. They know things that you just can't learn other than being, you know, having gone through it. And so they're going to avoid risks and pitfalls that first-time entrepreneurs are going to run into most likely or could run into. There's just a higher degree of likelihood that they will, which means it's more risk and the less likely that they'll hit that outcome that you need them to. Whereas somebody that's kind of been there before, not their first rodeo, they have enough experience uh, and usually enough drive too. Cause like the first one was like, eh, it was okay, but it didn't change my life next one i want to like change my life right and so there's just a lot of more things that are teed up that ultimately reduce the risk um that the company 
will fail or won't achieve that big outcome that you're really going for. Or alternatively put, it increases the likelihood that they will. Okay. Awesome. Well, let's wrap up this LinkedIn Q&A session. I thought it was really good feedback. I'm going to raise it a 30 million free money valuation. Done. <laughs> and that's what all of us should expect. Go to venturecapital.fm. You can like, subscribe, give us five-star reviews. That's, that'd be very helpful. Leave comments on YouTube. And we'd love to answer your thought, your questions. Yeah. And if you have questions, ping me and John on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. on YouTube, wherever. All right. Thanks, guys.